Welcome to the Millennial Recruiter Podcast, the podcast for forward-thinking recruiters. On this episode, I'm joined by the awesome John Guest. John is the Vice President and Head of Exec Search for Harper Harrison. So on this episode, we talk about Exec Search, we talk about why it's important to really understand your clients and candidates in a huge amount of depth, and John gave away this great piece of advice. You either win or you learn. If you enjoy this episode, I'd always really appreciate it if you could leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps me out. Thank you so much and enjoy. John, welcome to the Millennial Recruiter Podcast. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm very well, Ben. How about yourself? Yeah, very good, very good. And obviously, like, I think we've had some interaction before from the recruiter's arms. It's a, a small old world. Um, do you want to tell the audience a bit more about yourself and your background within recruitment, John? Yeah, sure. Uh, firstly, Ben, thanks for inviting me on. Always happy to share my experiences, failures. You know, it's, it's a great industry to be involved in. It's definitely a journey. So anything I can do to help others you know, avoid some of those mistakes and make their life a little bit easier, I'm always up for doing that. Um, to, to introduce to everyone, my name is John Guest. I'm the Vice President and Head of Executive Search for a business called Harper Harrison. So we focus on the real estate sector and I actually lead a team focused on the US market, um, which we switched to in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, which was obviously, um, why not? Um, Harper Harrison is part of the LHI group. So we have five non-competing brands. We have eight offices. We have just over 220 people. Um, it's a privately owned business that's grown from pretty humble beginnings and uh, and it's a great business to be a part of very much practice our younger you philosophy so making life easier for those that come after us and i think with stuff like this definitely falls in with that too so i've been in recruitment now this is my 14th year still love it still involved day to day on the tools as well as leading a team um, i love love the client side i love the solution side i just my passion really is trying to help us elevate the reputation of, of what we do to other comparable fields and I feel like we're getting there but still work to be done right definitely definitely I think it's something you you mentioned right well before we started the recording is obviously like for companies they always say accountants or or lawyers or people that provide a set of professional services highly important and sometimes recruitment isn't always held in the same regard and I think both of us are, are the same people build a business without good people, it's very difficult to, to, for any business to achieve. So, so do you want to tell us a bit more on your thoughts on what, what really good recruitment looks like, John? Well, I think on the point that you've just made, something that I'll always try and help people get their head around is that if you're working in a niche, and I guess nearly every recruiter I know does of some respect, be that horizontal job title, whether a vertical by sector, Within, let's say, six to nine months, you have probably interviewed more people in that sector than nearly any client you will ever speak to. So where often people struggle is putting clients on a pedestal. Yeah. And you know, yes, we're there to serve them. But actually, we're a business partner. And we have so much data and so much insight around the market that they have no sight of because they primarily know what happens inside their own four walls that we can share with them that 
you know, if we don't remind ourselves of that, sometimes we become too subservient. And I think that's where a lot of the problems begin. And if you're going to become a solutions provider and someone that ultimately people decide is worth listening to, I think it's gathering that and finding a way to, to share it and give value yeah. as well as just talking about, have you got any CVs? Cause ultimately they're going to work with us because they probably have a position to fill. But I think it's what you wrap around that and what level of conversations you have. Of course. I think if that I, makes sense. Definitely. I mean, even in terms of, as you said, like the more, the more value that you give to a client or your, your network, the more credible you're seen so that they take you a little bit more seriously. And I think uh, we'll, we'll talk probably more about the retained solution in a second, but obviously like a lot of people that listen to this podcast are newer to recruitment. They might be opening up new desks, which is something that you've had a lot of experience with over the last 12 months. What, what was your approach to, to building an entirely uh, new division within the business and approaching the U S market? Um, it's been really back to basics. I mean, when people say building a market from scratch, um, sometimes that isn't entirely accurate, but in our case, it's been literally no contacts, no candidates, nothing, no relationships really that we could lean on one or two names that maybe we'd work with in the UK or what in the wider business that we could reference. But, um, it was really kind of back to the start again. Um, so I think the approach has been what I've just said to try and speak to as many people as possible, understand their world, understand the challenges, the nuances, things that are different, asking people things like if we brought some leaders together in a round table type format, what would be the kind of things that you'd want to talk about? What are the main challenges in your business right now? Because once you understand that, what their challenges are. You don't necessarily, I, I think, need to know every answer, but it allows you to ask better questions and it allows you to ask for people's opinion on that. I don't think you necessarily are ever going to know as much of your clients about some of the technical aspects of their job, but what you can do is pick up on what might be a challenge for them and, and ask them how they're dealing with that. You know, be that recruitment specific. You know, I think a lot of companies have had a chance to reflect on their business and making some changes, be that um, changing business model, changing working location, changing the diversity of their workforce. So, or it might be more specific industry challenges like in the US at the moment, the cost of lumber has gone up much more than people expected. So therefore, if you can only sell a, a, a house for the same price, but actually the cost to build it is higher, you've got less margin to play with and you can't control the cost of lumber. In fact, you're lucky just to get it at the moment because uh, the housing market in there is over a boom. So if you can kind of understand their world, you can start to become credible. I think finding companies that you like the look of that fit your kind of description of size, location, feeling. You know, I personally like to recruit for companies that we would work for ourselves. And you can... Work some of that out by the way they talk about themselves and how seriously they take talent on their website or on their social media. You know, do they celebrate their people? Do they look like a good business to work for? Um, connect with as many people as possible in those businesses and try and convert those connections into conversations. Well, I think the less you go in on the approach of, you know, are you hiring? Can I help you? 
the longer it may take, but actually the more deeper relationships and the more chance you've got of someone opening up to you. Yeah. Talking about their world, talking about their own situation, talking about opportunities and whether they keep an open mind because we all know that probably 60 to 80% of people do keep an open mind towards the right role if it presented itself. And just becoming present in their world. I think a client buys from you because they know, like, and trust you. So first they got to know you. You've got to become present in their world. And that that might be speaking to them regularly. It might just be having, having them as a connection on LinkedIn and them seeing your posts. I've spoken to so many clients over the years that, that say, oh, I loved your post about that. I'm thinking, you didn't like it. You didn't comment on it. You, I didn't even know that you'd seen it, but people do. Um, so there's been moments where you're thinking, I should be getting more back from my efforts. I think yeah. none, of, none of us have experienced a pandemic like this before. So it's harder to gauge how much you should be getting back from your effort. Combine that with the fact that most of the best recruiters that I know aren't very patient. It, it can be quite challenging. Yeah. And you've got to trust the process, I guess. And I have a phrase on my whiteboard here, um, which is stay in the pocket, um, which is quite an American term, but it basically means if you're a quarterback and you've got the ball, there's the pocket between your defense and the attack and the attacker essentially trying to rip your head off. The longer you stay in that pocket and the more options will open up to you and the more easily you'll be able to see the pass and the best quarterbacks like a Tom Brady, very, very good at it. Staying under pressure, feeling the pressure, but still being able to look down the field rather than at the guy that's twice your size and is about to crush you. Um, so I guess it's, it's kind of building a market. I think you do these things every day and it will start to pay off, but you just got to trust the process in times like these. It's almost, it's really funny, actually, you say that, John. So I'm quite spec heavy. So if I see an opportunity that I feel that we could support, I will spec and constantly. However, a lot of the vacancies I've actually pulled over the last year were as a result of the content that I've put out. And I think it's funny, like when you look at content, because there are a lot of invisible likes in a way where people will engage on your content, but not necessarily engage in a physical way. They don't like it. They don't comment. I think, I mean, for, for me, content has been probably one of the biggest changes in recruitment over the last five years, our ability to do one-to-many interactions, whether that's a LinkedIn post I know you do uh, roundtables as well. How important do you think content is to the future generation of recruiters? Oh, it's, it's not getting any less important anytime soon. Um, I think it's always been important. I mean, my, my background before recruitment, I, I did IT. Yeah. So as part of our A-level course, we had to build a website for a brand and social media presence before, and this was before LinkedIn really existed certainly facebook didn't um showing my age a little bit now but i've always i mean we between my mates at college we created a car club for our local area where people could come together using an internet forum and this was before social media so no one really could connect in the way that they do now but people like to belong you know human beings have a sense of belonging that's why a lot of people are struggling with the pandemic is because we lose a lot of that feeling a part of something um, so I've always been someone, I think, that looks at it as an essential part of our role, like marketing our roles, marketing ourselves. 
and whether you work whether you work for a company that supports it or not you are the the md or the ceo of your personal brand <laughs> and if you work for a business that doesn't support you in that personally i'll be questioning is is that where my future lies you, you, you find a business that empowers you to grow your own personal brand because actually it's going to be good for you and good for your business opportunities so i think where recruitment has changed when i started linkedin was really new your value as a recruiter became about like your black book of contacts who you could get hold of um the information age hadn't really taken off back in 2007. So actually what clients paid you for is to find people. Mm. Now, I'm not saying they don't pay you to find people now, but they could find people themselves. Most people now in the majority of sectors are hiding in some kind of plain sight, be that on LinkedIn, be that on companies' websites, be that in podcasts, roundtables, events. We know who they are. So is the skill... And I have this conversation with clients a lot because they say, oh, who have you got on your books? I'll try and explain that it's not necessarily about who you've got on your books. It's about your ability to attract the best person who may well be fairly happy and working for a competitor or working somewhere else. So it's a long answer to your short question, Ben, but um, I think the importance of a recruiter being a marketer is one of your biggest differentiators right now. And that allows you to unlock talent that they can't unlock themselves that they don't have time to they don't have the skill to you can position the message in a better way most clients do it pretty terribly you know they put out an advert and it says you must have these 17 different things and if you miss one of them please don't reply apply or if you do you know we may not come back to you so someone that's borderline thinking i don't really want to be rejected um so it's a bit of an educational piece as to the value that you can bring. But I think once you get into those kind of conversations and the person's listening, then you know that you're on the right track. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you did hit, hit a really almost core point to me about really understanding job vacancies and what's essential and what's not essential because sometimes clients don't really understand it. And it's funny, like we were talking about it before, uh, having like dealing with people that in the military i have to tell my military consultants to, that they don't need all of the job spec i'm like these are the core points that they probably will need the rest of it it will depend on the right person and it, it's funny I, someone gave me a job spec uh, relatively recently it was pages and pages long if someone was cleared to develop to vetting level they would take the person on because they wasn't getting anyone that was currently de- developed vetting. And with the, the um, COVID, it's, it's a lot harder to get that at the moment because of the interviews. So the reality was the only thing that was actually needed was the security clearance. But outside of that, anything else could be trained. And I think it goes to show like a good quality recruiter is someone that spends a lot of time asking questions and understanding both client side and, and candidates. And I remember I got into a debate with a, a company last year over candidate qualification. For you, how long do you often, and your team members, how often, how long are they spending on the phone to candidates if they're qualifying someone for a role? What do you think good looks like? That's a good question. So I think just to go back on something you just said, um, 
if you think about what goes on in a client's world, often when they go to recruit, it's probably a little bit later than when they probably should have started. Um, so they're recruiting under a little bit of distress. They don't really know how to do it because most people haven't been trained of how to recruit, especially not how to write a performance job brief or how to attract people to a business. Maybe if you work in sales marketing, you're closer to the concept, but the majority of people don't really know where to start. So often what I've seen happen is you pull out a job spec from 2016. You don't take much off because that feels like you're giving stuff away. You just add a few more things. Um, you, might not, you might not even change the salary. Um, so you don't even know whether the salary is valid in the, in the current market because the pandemic has changed quite a lot. Um, so I think it's almost saying, acknowledging the job spec, just saying, look, appreciate you sending that over. That's definitely useful. Let me form some questions around that. But I want to talk to you about what success looks like in this hire, mm-hmm. not what you want. I want to talk to you about, like, what I, I don't want to talk to you exactly about what you want, but not in the way that you necessarily think. So what does success look like? So Ben, if we were talking in six months time and we were to say, do you know what? That person is the best hire we've ever made. I want the, the next person to be exactly the same kind of character. What would they have to have achieved? And it just resets their mind completely and takes them to a bit of a different place where they have to start thinking. And actually, if you gather those the answer to that question, what the rest starts to matter less because as long as they can hit those things or achievements, milestones, successes does it really matter what their background is because often you ask a client what their background is they did something completely different before they just forgot that along the way but i think it's just a bit of a our job is to pattern interrupt a little bit if you want to become a consultant you interrupt the pattern you disrupt it you get people to think a little bit then your life becomes a lot more easy and you become a bit more like a consultant but then going going back to answering your question you've got more of a defined list of i guess tools in your toolkit to attract people and the more people you can attract the more selective the client can then be so what we tend to do when we're working on a search is we will agree with the client and sometimes they'll have this already often we'll work to to finalize it with them on a set of questions that we will ask so we will approach a candidate that we think could be a fit and i don't think ever we will tell them about the opportunity straight away we might mention that we've got a search that we're working on, but we want to find out a bit about them. How do we know whether this opportunity is right or not? How do we connect it to what's really important to them? So the first conversation tends to be a bit more about what would they change? Where do they want to be? What their goals are? What do they enjoy? What don't they enjoy? And depending on how long that takes, you might then present the opportunity if it fits. Otherwise, you might allude to the opportunity and then book a second call. So if we're running a search with a client like one that we're running at the moment, we will video interview every candidate. Um, What that video interview looks like is 45 minutes to an hour, recapping on any questions that they've got about the opportunity, making sure that it's a fit, but then interviewing them against the agreed questions. And these aren't just technical questions. They're also behavioral questions because we talked about this earlier, but... I think that is more important, the right kind of person and how do we determine that? And when we present a candidate, we will share those answers or our summary of those answers with them as well to say, look, we think that they can actually achieve what you're looking for someone to achieve. They might not have every 
one of the 10 things that you've listed on the job spec. Maybe they've got seven or eight, but we think they're the right kind of human. So we think you should talk to them. I think almost instantly, like your answer shows what is quite a, a big disparity within the recruitment industry. The reason why I asked you that question is because I, I kind of guessed what, you, what your answer would be. Whereas off, I, I spoke to a, a delivery person who was targeted to speak to candidates in 15 minutes or less. Now, how important or what part of your success then do you think is down to the amount of time you put into your candidate pool? Um, I think you've got to be selective. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not saying spend an hour talking to every person. Yeah. Your first, the first call might be 15 minutes. Yeah. You're working out in that call how much time this person is worth right now. Are they a good candidate for this opportunity? Are they a good candidate for the future? You know, are they open-minded? Yeah. Are they realistic about what they're looking for? Can you take some kind of ownership over their search? Because someone might be great, but they've already sent their CV out to 30 businesses and they've 12 interviews. How much time do you, what, how, how much value can you add to that process? So I would agree that the 15 minute rule is not necessarily a bad or it sounds bad on the face of it, but if you're using it to do the pre-screening, how much yeah. time it's worth. And as long as you're being honest with the person and you're managing their expectations, that's where sometimes we go wrong. We promise everything and deliver nothing as an industry. Yeah. So if you're being honest at the end of that call to say, I really like you, but I don't think the search is right for you right now, but I do work in your market. I would like to keep in touch. There are some things I can send you that might help you improve your CV or your resume. And if you want an update at any time, I'm more than happy to update you. Yeah. If, if you think someone's worth taking to market, which is something that a lot of the best recruiters do, like worth explaining how that process works with them. And then maybe booking another call to dig in into more detail. I think there's a massive part of the industry that will call candidates and clients different things, whereas actually... The mindset shift for a lot of the best people is that it's, they're all people. Yeah. And a lot of them can be the same thing. And whether they've made, whether they've consciously made that mindset shift or not, when it comes to putting a client on a pedestal, if you realize that your client is your candidate and your candidate is your client, then actually you're either going to put everyone on a pedestal or no one. They're yeah. just people, right? We all know successful people in, in, in our lives that we don't necessarily treat any differently yeah. and we don't even know if these people are that successful but we just perceive them to be um and i struggled with that throughout my career i started in recruitment at the age of 21 and people would say oh i can't give you this level of search you know you, we want have you got anyone a bit more senior yeah. can i speak to your boss um but it's just attitude isn't it and i think as long as you're good enough the clients that you probably want to work with don't actually care. Yeah. I, I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. It, it's treating people like people. The, the best consultants within my wider team are those that build relationships. And they build relationships with clients, they build relationships with candidates because the good relationships they have with candidates can then support their success later on. I think I, I said it on a another podcast interview recently where I was told off for spending a bit too much time on the phone to candidates 
until one of my ex-candidates called me up and said, oh, Ben, can you help me find uh, five uh, service desk engineers for, for our team as a contract starting next week? Yes, I can, actually. People got... remember how you made them feel yeah. more than what you said. So as long as they feel like you're trustworthy, you know what you're talking about. I've had people come back to me to do a search when I didn't place them, even though they were placed by another recruiter, just because they felt that you were more honest. I've had actually um, in my last business, I had the sales director call up and say, you've just taken our best salesperson and put them somewhere else. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was like, he said you were great. So we'd like you to use you to find someone else. Yeah. And I just thought that's just brilliant. Firstly, his attitude is brilliant towards the whole thing because we didn't work with him. So you know, we, we didn't have an agreement saying we couldn't, but the, the process had been good. He'd asked the person what, how he'd found it and the person had sung our praises and it actually led to a client that way. So there's opportunities all around us. I think be kind, treat people well, be patient. Some opportunity. I still get approached now. I, I, I changed sector three years ago. I still get approached at least once a week by someone in my last sector to ask if I can help. They don't check LinkedIn necessarily if they've got your number in their phone. Mm. Um, yeah, it make, makes you feel good about it. But you can't take all of that to the bank straight away. So I think it's just deciding which game you're in. Are, are you in this as a career and you're willing to play the long game? Or are you just doing this as a bit of a stopgap and you need some instant cash, in which case... Some of this stuff takes a bit longer than you may have to, to play out. Yeah. It's actually, again, even funny that you say that. Like, I was talking to someone about KPIs. Now, I'm, I'm a big fan of KPIs and having activities that attract. But equally, it's sometimes a difficult balance because ultimately, I want people to build really good relationships. If a consultant is on the phone to someone for an hour and a half and that's the right person within the marketplace, even if it's not going to pay off instantly, it's, it's still the right thing to do as a business owner that wants long-term success, not short-term success. But how important do you think being patient is as a recruiter? It's often seen, like, you take someone like myself who was that sort of contract recruiter through and through, who wanted to place everything instantly. How important do you think patience is in building a successful recruitment career? Uh, I'm going to steal, steal a phrase from, from Gary V. Um, but he, he talks about like the clouds and the dirt or the macro and the micro. I think it's important in the macro to stay patient, stay committed, pay it forward, do some of this stuff. I mean, we host roundtable events for leaders in our sector and it takes quite a lot of time to put them together. We learn a lot about their world and actually... You know, one of the things I say is that you don't have to work with us ever to come to these. We're paying back to the ecosystem that pays us. We're paying it forward. Um, can I put an ROI on those events exactly? Probably not. Do I feel they're good for multiple reasons? Absolutely. Are you more likely to get an opportunity because someone trusts you and because they've been vulnerable in front of you and they share their challenges? Definitely. But then on the flip side, in the micro, we all know that time kills all deals. So... Mm -hmm. I don't mean being patient when something needs to be moved along. I think that's the wrong time. And putting clients on a pedestal too much where you're not willing to challenge them is also the detriment of some of our consultants or people we've worked with or 
people in our profession. You know, when, a, when a client is doing the wrong thing, it's having the confidence to explain to them what might happen, not necessarily telling them what they have to do, but just, exp- I think a good way sometimes is just tell a story. People remember stories, people buy into stories. So think of an example where something's happened similarly and it went wrong. And people don't always like being challenged, but I think if your intentions are good, it's remembering that, that it's coming from a good place. You're not self-serving, you're trying to help them get what they've told you at the start they want to achieve. So certain circumstances, I say, be anything but patient. If the client said that they want someone tomorrow and then they haven't spoke to you for three days, don't wait another three to follow up. Send them an email saying, you know, has anything changed? Appreciate you're busy. You know, do it in the moment. Because yeah. nearly, nearly every single time I've buried my head in the sand, the end pain is only going to get worse. So the quicker you deal with it and hear the no or hear the thing that you don't want to hear the quicker you can move on to something else and you could have spent that three or four days focused on attack rather than defense so am i allowed to completely contradict myself yeah i think you're almost right there is that duality between it that you don't necessarily expect things to happen straight away that you do want to build long-term relationships but it's good to sometimes be impatient and make that call to the client or the candidate who's not contacting you and sometimes stay on top of it. There's, and I think that's that thing, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with hearing no's. I was, I came from a background of doing hard, like volume based stuff, industrial warehousing. And when selling and selling in 2009, 10, I was trained very early on. Every no brings you closer to the next yes. Ben, go and see how many no's you can get in a day. See how many warehouses will tell you to piss off and not call them again. And <laughs> then call them back. And if you keep doing that, eventually the result comes. Yeah, people appreciate professional persistence. Yeah. If you do it right, you're not bombarding people. You're adding value as well as just asking. You know, it's a bit like a bank account, I think, with relationships. As long as you're making enough deposits, yeah. you can then make a withdrawal or people feel like they should give you something in return. Um, so there's nothing wrong with being persistent. We've got to be proactive, especially in times like these. What, what I feel helps me and other people I know that, have, that lived and worked in recruitment through the global financial crisis is that you kind of remember what happened on the way out, that some recruiters that weren't patient enough or that didn't bring value or didn't connect or you know, were completely self-serving didn't make it. And actually the field was clearer for those that did and the opportunities came back and actually most people had a great few years it's easier to deal with the current challenges i think for those that have done it before because you can kind of pin it back not that it's exactly the same at all and um you know, we won't get too much into the detail of the pandemic but uh it's not the same but it has some of the same kind of themes i mean like obviously i think we've spoke around lots of different things about what makes a successful recruiter but from yourself like what would you say the the top characteristics are for yourself and other people that you've seen have a successful long-term career within our industry without making it sound really easy (laughs) (laughs) i think being serious about improvement but i always think about you either win or you learn 
So every failure can then be a positive as long as you're taking something away from it. And, you know, I, I read quite a lot and you follow most successful people, most successful sports people. I'm definitely not in the same category as most of the people I read about. But what I try and practice is like conscious improvement. Still now, opening up a new market, had to really think about what works, what doesn't, try things, um, get punched in the face a lot, quite honestly, and, and learn from that. I think finding a market that you care enough about so that it doesn't seem as much like work is one of the common things too. So if you really are interested in your market, and I recruit in property and real estate, and I love property and real estate. So, you know, it's kind of like my side passion too. That's how I plan to use the rewards that recruitment give me to kind of build a portfolio and hopefully get to the point where I don't have to work if I don't want to. That's, that's my life plan, but that involves property and real estate too. So the kind of the worlds combine. Mm. Um, that's probably one of the other criteria. Being bold, putting yourself out there is another. The main difference between someone that will get, get an opportunity and won't is that are they bold enough to keep putting themselves in the right place, go to events, ask people, call high, call the CEO actually, he or she probably gets less calls than the person in the level below and then the person the level below that because most people won't do it. Mm. But I guarantee you if they say, speak to this person and you call them up saying, my CEO told me to speak to you, that's a better route in. Yeah. Um, so there's probably three things. There's loads. But I think commitment, working the extra, especially at the start to mm. get known. Because remember, the no like and trust. Unless someone knows you, they can't like you or trust you. So the first part is doing the um, the grind, but doing it in the right way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I love that what you said there. Like people buy from people they know, like, and trust. Like I think it's really crucial for any person selling a recruitment solution to to get within that mindset. I think the final thing that I wanted to talk about is we we had a conversation at the beginning about retained. So I was a contingent recruiter through and through, but I think I've really started to come around to thinking that retained could be a really positive solution for, not just for myself, but for my clients because of the commitment they get. So obviously you've been doing retained for quite a while. What makes you do that? Why do you think it's good for not just yourself, but for your clients and your candidates? Um so many reasons we could do a separate episode on this on it uh, in its own entirety but i think when you speak to people about what frustrates them when it comes to recruitment recruiters hiring there's normally certain themes the candidates will complain that they don't know if an opportunity is real or not yeah. or they don't get feedback the candidate experience isn't great and that's not just through recruiters that often is direct too yeah why does that happen when you speak to clients, they're frustrated because there might be a flurry of activity at the start and then they don't hear. Recruiters disappear. Um, people don't take enough time to get to know them or they're getting CVs that aren't right. They're interviewing people that are a complete waste of time. So it's normally time, money, commitment. And when you speak to recruiters about what frustrates them, it's getting their time wasted. So it's almost like this weird parallel universe where everyone's moaning about the same thing and their challenges are the same, but yet there's a bit of an obvious solution staring us in the face that most people haven't kind of, because of the way that recruitment has 
developed and people's experiences and the fact that it's not a brand new concept it's just pattern interrupting and just saying let hold on a minute firstly let's talk about what challenges you and don't you think that this might solve it so personally for me i wanted to commit to a client that actually if this position is critical to the success of your business i'm going to work with you until i until i fix this till i solve it now doing that when you're working against four other recruiters and you know that your fill rate is 20 to 30 percent that the client could change their mind at any time you know Claire that used to work for them seven years ago could come back into the UK and join, you know, they could put the role on hold. There's all these things that struggle for you to fully commit. Yeah. So I'm taking as many of those off the table as possible so that you know that your time is best spent because the more time you spend on a search and the one that we're, one of the ones we're running at the moment, we've met 260 people. We've spoke to at least 150 of those. Yeah. We've interviewed six video so six hours of video interview we've got another three booked in i can do that for you if i know that there's mutual commitment yeah. i can't do that for you if i'm worried about you pulling the search at any moment well i can i'm just not willing yeah. you know i think being a parent helps a little bit with this because you start to think am i willing to miss my son's bath time or bedtime or just, you know, playing around with them. Am I willing to miss that for this opportunity or not? Yeah. It's a real leveler. Um, but I think it's a good way to think anyway. Candidates, the fact that you are committed, the client has given you some financial commitment up front, allows you to manage that experience for them. It allows you to give them feedback if they put some effort in and don't get the opportunity. It allows you to know where the search is at, because sometimes we don't. We yeah. know what the client's telling us, but we know from something else we found out that's probably not true. It's a real honesty card. Um, and companies talk about candidate experience being so important. Yeah. yeah, we're not necessarily giving them any feedback. I ran a poll a few months ago. And I think the question was, if you didn't hear back the first time you applied for a role, would you be less likely or the same to apply again? I think yeah. 70 plus percent of people said they'd be less likely to apply the second time, which proves everything. So all these things combine and you kind of know that it is a game changer. I don't remember any client that we've worked with on a retained basis ever saying, I want to go back to the old way. The, the contingent way can work. Yeah. I'm not saying that retained is the only way. If, if it's a screening exercise rather than a searching exercise, it can work. Same as advertising can work sometimes. If the client needs someone tomorrow and they just need someone yeah. to solve a problem, you know, contract versus perm is slightly different. It's a bit like, you know, dating someone versus getting married to them. Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're choosing whether you're spending three months with them or potentially 10 years. Yeah. It's a bit of a different mindset. So it, it's not the, it's not the solution for everything, but I think the skill is, asking the right questions to understand how important this is for the client. Where some people get it wrong is they get given a job spec and they start talking about the opportunity itself rather than asking them at the start, look, before we, before we decide what the best solution is for this search, tell me a bit more about the why. Yeah. Why is this position important? 
how important is it to find the best person? What steps have you taken? And I think a bit like a doctor, and I use this analogy to, to some of the team internally. If you went to a doctor and said, look, my knee hurts, he said, okay, yeah, take that. You'd be like, uh, I kind of trust you, but it feels like that was going to be your answer anyway. Whereas if, you know, bends it one way, bends it the other way, hits you with a little mallet, asks you a few questions, then gave you the exact same solution, you probably trust them more. Because hmm. you're actually, you know, you're diagnosing the problem rather than the symptom. So... I think it, it just, for certain searches where it is important to find the best person, our duty of care as recruiters is to kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. Most clients yeah. don't actually know what they're paying for or what we do. And if you explain it, how recruiters prioritize jobs, and what happens when we find out that there's other people working on it, you know, the, it's changing the client's mindset that more recruiters on a search gives them more coverage, whereas actually most of the best recruiters will put that to the bottom of their list. Yeah. Um, and once they get that, and some get it quicker than others, that's when you're into education. There's a book actually that I'd recommend anyone checking out called The Challenger Sale. I don't know whether you've read it, Ben, but I would no, definitely I recommend it. Mm. The, the concept of the book is that the challenger salesperson is the most successful of many that they'd surveyed and what they do is they educate on a concept they don't sell on themselves they sell a concept to a client and because they've educated and got the client to think i've never thought of it that way before they become the natural person to then deliver it so you're not necessarily selling you have to use me for this but if i were you this is the best way whether that's with me or someone else i think that kind of takes the sales part you're consulting. And I think consulting is obviously what gets the best rewards for both the individual consultant, the clients and the candidates. The more you're able to consult and add value across all of the process, the more business you will win as a result. So one final question, John. So you've got a new person joining your team. What's one thing that they would you would tell them to support them to achieve success. So what's one piece of advice that you'd give to any brand new recruiter? You win or you learn. Yeah. F fantastic. Thank you so much. Make sure they understand what that means. So, I mean, well, thanks, what does, it's been a pleasure. What, what, really good what, just, just to wrap up a little bit, what does that mean to you then? You win and you learn. What, what does that really, really mean? Why do you come out with that one? There is no lose option. Yeah. So say, say, for example, I was working on a job, you were my client, and for whatever reason, we didn't get a successful outcome. Um, doing a bit of a post-mortem on that process and working out what I could do better to make sure that it doesn't happen again. Sometimes there's nothing you could do, but it's pretty rare in my experience. There's normally something. You didn't set the rules out right. You didn't ask the question to find out the competition you know, the, the job spec form that your client, that your company that you work for probably gave you, you probably put that in the bin and, you know, did it completely a cappella, And it's the one question that you forgot that actually would have given you the answer. But sometimes you make a conscious decision to compromise on your, on your values. And I think that's fine. If you're deciding, do you know what, this isn't perfect, but I think there's another reason to do it. That's fine. It's when it's not conscious that that's when people end up getting burnt out. And I've seen far too many recruiters who had loads of potential in our industry 
not make it past that two or three year mark because they're just not getting the reward for their effort, um, quite frankly. And I think a lot of that comes down to that business model and comes down to us as leaders to give them the tools to start you know, getting more back. Because yeah. there's easy, easier ways to earn a salary, that's for sure. <laughs> it definitely is. But there's, then I there's think not that, that many careers that you can make so much of an impact to. Definitely. And I, I agree with that, John. Well, look, thank you so much for your time in this podcast. To all of the, the audience, make sure you connect with uh, John Guest on LinkedIn.